0: Mac Power Users, episode three hundred eighty five Workflows with Kelly Gamont. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you doing, Katie?
1: I'm well, David.
0: How are you? Doing great. And we have a long overdue guest on the show today. Welcome to the Mac Power Users, Kelly Gamont.
2: Hi, I'm really excited to be here and I'm, I'm really pleased you guys invited me down on the show.
1: Well, it's been a long time coming, Kelly. We've known you for years various events, you know Macworld and and gosh, it seems like so many conferences and conventions we keep crossing paths.
2: Yeah,
0: I like the fact that folks don't know Kelly totally dodged a bullet when I invited her on the show because I was going through my list. And I'm like, I thought we had Kelly on the show, then I looked, and we hadn't had you on the show, so I sent you a text message to say it's time you went on the Mac Power users. And you didn't have my cell phone number in your phone, right? So yeah, you, you just got this random message that said, how come? You, oh, I think what it says is how come you haven't been on Mac power users yet? Yeah, that's what I asked and the, you
2: from just a phone number. And that's all it said. And I'm like, um, maybe I'm not the best person to ask.
0: So so this was your chance to say, well, I'd like to, you, but those jerks won't invite me on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I almost said, like, they've never invited me. So you'll have to ask one of them. Like, I'm not responsible for that guest list. So, you know, I don't have booking power over everybody else's <laughs> podcasts, It's just mine.
0: <laughs> Although you, maybe you should. Just maybe you should. But uh, anyway, so w- we figured that out. And long overdue, Kelly Gamont's on the show. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know Kelly, she's a, just a wonderful person. She's a technology writer. Uh, we first met each other back in the Macworld days. At that time, you were writing for, what was the name of that website?
1: to I. Uh, the unofficial Apple weblog. Oh, may they rest in peace.
0: Yeah, but she's doing so much more than that. Kelly's writing for various software companies, helping them with tech support. Uh, she's a social media consultant, which is something I really want to talk about today. Everybody out there listening, there's a lot of folks that have their own businesses or just need to get their their arms around how to manage social media. And that's what Kelly does all the time. And she's a podcaster as well. Um, The Mac Observer Daily Observations, Greeting from the Uncanny Valley, which was a great podcast she did with Don Melton on Westworld. If you like Westworld, we're going to put a link in. You should go listen to the show.
2: And it's coming back because now that the season is over, we're going to do a rewatch. And the first episode is in the can and Don and I are setting up when to record the second episode. And it's been a really interesting experience for people who have not yet gone back and watched again. Now that you know sort of where where everything goes and how it ends up at the end of that first season going back and watching again sort of turns the show inside out so it's been a lot of fun to go back and watch again and now that you know like sometimes it's the opposite reaction to something that happens in an earlier episode it's been really fun
0: yeah some of those shows i it was honestly hard for me to watch them at night because they just got me worked up and it was hard to go to sleep afterwards.
2: <laughs> yeah, because I just would have more questions and more questions. And then I would be like, and, and then I, especially once uh, there were a number of episodes out, I would be like, oh, I'll just go. I'll watch the one before this again and then watch this one. And the next thing I know, it's like way past when I'm supposed to be asleep. <laughs> and, and it kept happening. So it was hard for me. I had to like, you know, wrap that up before dinner to make sure that I was able to get to bed at a reasonable hour.
0: And what I liked about that show is, you know, there's a lot of podcasts out about popular TV shows, but Kelly, you know, she's kind of in the geek family with us, us Mac power users. She thinks like we do. Don Melton was a former Apple employee and granddaddy of Safari. So uh, just the way you guys think it was almost like listening to a couple friends talk about the show. It was just a really great take. I'm, I'm glad you guys did that. And you're going back to do more.
2: Thank you so much. I'm really excited about it. And that's honestly one of the best parts is um, I went on Twitter and was talking about Westworld and Don was talking about Westworld. And I said something to him and I said, like, I want to start a podcast about Westworld because I don't work in an office and I don't have people to talk about this with. And I think my husband's getting tired of hearing about Westworld. And he said, well, if you'll edit, then I'll do it with you. That would be fun. And so we got together and like the first episode we tried to record was over three hours long. And that was sort of when we knew that we were on
0: something. <laughs> yeah. That's how we started too. <laughs> um, but let, let's get back to how you pay for your shoes because uh, throughout this whole run that you've been involved with technology, uh, you have been a writer and um, and I know you do that pretty much every day. So we thought we'd just start talking about um, how are you getting writing done these days with the the various Mac devices you're using? And I guess a, a lead up question is: wh- Which Mac devices are you using these days? I haven't seen you for a while.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, I have I have a uh, Retina MacBook Pro. Uh, it was the I want to say the like mid 2015. No, I'm gonna have to go peek at my get info. It was the first one to have the force touch trackpad, which uh. Honestly, I feel like okay. Early 2015. It's an early 2015 13 inch. Um, the force trackpad has been fantastic for me because it all clicks the same. And I didn't realize how unhappy I was with the the diving board model of trackpad until I got rid of that and and ended up with another one. And so the machine I was using previously was only a couple of years old. And so it went to my husband, and it's his personal computer now. And every once in a while I will go to do something on his computer and it's impossible to click at the very, very top of the trackpad. And I forget, you know, because I'm so used to mine now. And so, um,
0: yeah, cause originally it was on a hinge. So the farther down the trackpad you press, the easier it was, but at the top you're right on top of that hinge.
2: Yeah. And you basically can't, unless you've got like tap to click enabled, you can't, there's no amount of force you can put on the top edge of a trackpad and get it to actually click for anything. So the force touch is great
0: katie have you have you noticed that since you went over to the the retina Macbook pro?
2: um I don't know.
1: it just kind of works i i' I never really had a problem with the old one, so but the other one the new one is definitely nicer, except for the fact that it's so much bigger and, and so I kind of don't like it for that reason
0: are either are either of you guys tapped to tap to touch or was it touch to click no, people?
1: Ugh, ugh.
2: tap to click I actually ugh. am
1: because I got
2: I got into that ages ago. No, I totally I know a number of people who think it's terrible. And I totally get why it would be terrible. Um, It's just how I am accustomed to using my computer because I started on Apple portable machines a really long time ago. So uh, like I had a PowerBook 1400. And so um, I got really used to having to sort of pivot my hands down and use one thumb for the trackball and one thumb for clicking. So, I got really used to that. So, like I'm used to not being able to rest my hands in the middle and accidentally touch the trackpad or the trackball or whatever. So, um for me, it works to use tap to click instead of um having to actually click on the trackpad. So uh, that's how I got around the diving board problem on previous machines was I can touch right at the top and I don't have to pivot my hands down so far like I used to have to in the trackball days.
0: Yeah, with the Magic Trackpad on my iMac, I used tap, was it touch to click? I'm not sure. What, what is it? Is it tap to click? Tap to click. What they call it? So basically you don't have to physically press it. And I, I use that because I tap a lot when I'm like producing a screencast or even like while making a podcast, I don't want the clicky noise in the background. And the... um. And also I find for RSI purposes, it's a lot easier if you just touch it and then I can vary the fingers I use. Like if I'm tapping a lot, I can tap with my ring finger or my index or my little finger. It doesn't matter because it just barely takes a touch and I've kind of got it down, but I've never really used it on a laptop because I'm always afraid I'll be start clicking <laughs> while I'm using my palms, you know.
2: So, and like, I know people who work differently on their laptops. And so for them, uh, tap to click is terrible. And I totally understand that, you know, it's it's not necessarily for everybody, but if it's a thing where you constantly have a hard time getting the clicking to happen for you, it might be a thing to consider because it might be easier to move to that um, and then sort of sort out, you know, accidental taps. Uh, it might be easier for some people. Like one of the reasons I love it is because the two finger tap to click gives you the right click if you use two fingers at the same time. And I use that constantly because I had a hard time with actual clicking with two fingers at the same time. It like didn't register for some reason. And so when I moved to the tap and tap two fingers to get the right click menu to happen, that was was a huge deal for me because like all of a sudden it was like right click started working and I didn't have to control click anymore. It was pretty great.
0: Yeah. And, and, and like some people, because you can also enable lower right corner to click. That's just craziness. I mean, you, you shouldn't have to think about where your fingers are. <laughs> Double I'm I'm with you. Two finger tap for right finger all the way baby. All the way. Absolutely. What about on iOS? Are you using any uh, iPads these days or iPhones or 10 cans?
2: I have um I have an iPhone. I have a 6S. And uh and I still really like it. I don't The only time I have trouble with it is when uh I'm I'm really bad at scooping pictures off my phone because Apple because photo management on my Mac and I have really never gotten along. It's always been sort of an icy relationship after iPhoto swallowed a bunch of my Disneyland pictures one time. So, and it wouldn't give them back. So, um I don't have a good relationship with like actual photo management, but I take approximately 11d jillion pictures on my phone all the time so i always have like a truckload of photos on the camera roll and so sometimes my phone gets a little more full than it comfortably wants to be and uh i have to remember to go scoop pictures off of it later um but other than that like i love my success and i never remember and again it's another small thing that apple released that i didn't realize how much i relied on until i didn't have it and my husband has an iphone 6 And I have a success. And Raised to Wake came with the success. And I forget how often I use that for all kinds of things until I pick up his phone to tell him, like, your phone just went off. And he's like, well, who texted me? And I'll pick up his phone to look and I pick it up and I wait for the screen to light up and then it doesn't. I'm like, your phone is dead. And I'm like, oh, wait, no. You just don't have that option. <laughs> so then I have to remember to like hit home or power, you know, and light it up so I can see what it said. Um, so I have a, a 6S that I really like, and uh, I use an OG iPad Air. I have the first gen iPad Air, and I really like it.
0: And, and you're getting good work done on it. See that, that's why they can't sell only iPads, because <laughs> you can buy you have a really old one, still get a lot of good work done on it.
2: Yeah, but what kills me about it is Touch ID. I don't have Touch ID. And so
1: really, there was no Touch ID on the original iPad Air? Huh?
2: Yeah, it was right after like the um, uh, the six with Touch ID, like they were they were very close in release. And so for some reason, the Air didn't have it. And uh, yeah, so I got an Air. And I really love my Air. But that's one of the things is that still, even now, as long as I've had it, even still, a couple of times a week, I will put my thumb on the home button and press and wait. And it just sits there like, what's your passcode? And I'm like, why don't you? Oh, yeah. Now, I know you
1: were thinking about upgrading to an iPad Pro. Is it is what particular about the iPad Pro has got you thinking about it? Is it just because you're kind of due because you have an iPad Air that's get, getting long in the tooth? Or is are there specific features of the Pro that are calling to you?
2: Uh, partly it was horsepower. Uh, which for me is a feature because one of the things I want to do with it is Swift Playgrounds. And I played with Swift Playgrounds on my Air and I played with them on Mr. Kelly's Air 2. He has an iPad Air 2. And it's a lot faster on his machine than it is on mine, even. Um, And, you know, those aren't... There's not a ton of difference between those two. And it's still a lot faster on his. And uh, the other thing that... So I want to, like, play with Swift Playgrounds on it. But also... Um, it seems like when your device clocks in on the lower rungs of os compatibility then um, app developers are taking advantage of the nicer hardware that's out and doing more to put stuff out that will run on beefier machines and so uh you know you can keep updating the apps that you have but if you want to try anything new or play around with the new game everybody's talking about or that new amazing text editor or something like sometimes that stuff just really will redline the hardware that you have and that's part of what i'm worried about is just with my air i you know i really like the size i really like the shape and i i like um How it fits in my life, like physically, like it fits in my purse if I want to take it with me somewhere and I feel like I'm going to need my iPad when I get there, I can drop it in my purse and go. Um, But it's also a nice size if I want to hold it with one hand and read on the Kindle app or something. I can totally do that. And so I'm that's why I was sort of worried when everybody kept talking about there needs to be a 12 inch iPad. I'm like, why? You know, when I need 13 inches of screen, I get the one that has the keyboard with it already. And I open that up and I do what I need to do there. Cause that's what my laptop is for. You know, I don't need 13 inches of screen if I don't have a keyboard to type on, type on with it. So um, part of why I'm, I'm curious about it is horsepower because to me, that additional horsepower is a feature for other stuff that I want to be able to do.
0: Yeah. I bet iOS 11 is going to sorely tempt you because it is, it's great. It's really great, and I, I think on an original iPad Air, I guess it's compatible with it, but I just think, you know, you're going to have serious RAM problems running multiple apps. And
2: Yeah, even now, like the picture-in-picture picture stuff that was part of iOS 10, like my computer, my iPad sort of reminds me of uh, when I first got my knee brace off after I blew my knee out, where I would go, hold on, I'll get there. You just got to give me a minute and like, you know, and there was a little more effort and it took a little more time to get where I was headed. You know, I'd get there, but I'd be last, you know, and, and it feels like what I've seen from iOS 11, um, as awesome as it's going to be, it's not going to be awesome on an air.
0: So we've cost you money. We're getting started. <laughs> We're getting rolling.
2: That's what the that's show does. I'm sorry. It's fine. Well, I, I, yeah, you know, it, it's only fair. And I'll say that because, um... As, as Jeff Gammett is fond of pointing out, I'm the one that reeled him into all this home automation nonsense. Um, he calls it nonsense when he's mad at it because something isn't working. <laughs> and <laughs> so, um, like, I reeled him into a couple of WeMo switches and now he has an Ecobee and, you know, and on and on. And so uh, he does gleefully point out, you know, that, that I am the reason he's having this problem and I am the one who cost him money. So it's only fair that something cost me money down the line.
1: Well, we're definitely going to talk about your home automation a little bit later. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the tools that you're using to get all of this done. I want to take a moment and thank our longtime sponsor, OnePassword. OnePassword 1Password is the 1Password manager that will work for individuals, teams, and families as well. And Family Plan starts at just four ninety nine a month for a family of five. Now, if you're listening to the show, you are probably the IT manager for your family, which means when something goes wrong, it somehow manages to be your fault, and you're the one who's on the hook for fixing it. So why don't we try to avoid some of those problems right up front? And I have said for a long time that the single best thing that you can do to up your security game on the internet is to use strong, unique passwords across all of your sites. And getting your family on board with this can be difficult, but it has never been easier with tools like 1Password. With 1Password for families, your family can put unlimited passwords, credit cards, secure notes, software licenses, and more into a secure 1Password vault, along with one gigabyte of secure documents storage, and have access to the award-winning line of 1Passwords applications, whether they're on Mac, iOS, Windows, or Android, and of course, have access to 1Passwords 24-7, fast, helpful customer support. You and your family can share your passwords and information across the family. So, maybe there's certain things that, like maybe your Netflix password, that it's a good idea for all family members to have access to. But then again, maybe there's certain things that only mom and dad should have access to. So, with One Password, you have total control. You get to decide what information you want to share and who you want to share it with. So, with One Password for Families, all of your family members get access to all of their passwords on the go. They get to use the One Password Sync service, which will seamlessly sync all of their data across all of of their devices. And they get access to the great watchtower service, which means they and you will receive around the clock alerts about security breaches for sites that you may have passwords to so you'll know when things need to be. Um, changed, as well as when maybe you're getting a little lax with your password habits and using that same password or variations of it over and over again across multiple sites. So you can learn more and start a free trial of 1Password for Families by heading over to one MPU in all caps to get a special deal and discount for Mac Power users listeners. So thanks 1Password for your continued support of the show. So, Kelly, you do a lot of writing and some of it is short form because we know you do a lot for social media that I want to talk about a little later. Uh, we know that you do a lot of technical support writing. Um, and then you're also a technology writer. Uh, I know you write for the Mac Observer. I know you do a lot of blog posts and and those types of things. Um, so I guess my first big picture question is – Are writing for those different platforms and those different audiences, do you use different tools for those different things, or do you have kind of the same tool set that you keep going back to?
2: In some cases, it depends. Um, If I'm writing something longer form, um, if if it's not something that was maybe assigned, like I was asked to write about this particular thing, if it's I have an idea for my own website or I have an idea for something I want to write over at Mac Observer... Um, That stuff all goes into drafts Uh, and the thing about drafts that that makes me uh, so happy now um, is that I have an Apple watch and I have a first gen Apple watch and uh, I can use drafts on my watch and one of the reasons that that's awesome for me is because I get ideas a lot of times when I'm not necessarily in a place to write them down. Or um, maybe even enter them into my phone. Like I've started trying to do more exercise. And so when I'm on my elliptical trainer every day, I sit, th- you know, like I'm thinking and I'm doing sort of other stuff. And when I get out away from staring at a screen all the time and I'm listening to music and trying to make sure I get my however much time in every day. Um, one of the things that will happen is I will think of stuff. It's one of those things like people talk about, you know, um, Having the whiteboard in the shower where you can write stuff down because you always think of it and then you can't remember when you get out of the shower and it's the same sort of thing. So I'm able to pick up my arm and tap on drafts because I have it on the the um front screen of my watch. Tap on drafts, tap on the mic uh tell it whatever it is I'm thinking about and I know I've got that stored later. And then when I'm not on the elliptical and I'm, you know, down in front of my iPad or in front of my phone, I can sit down and sort that stuff out. Like that was a blog post I wanted to write for TMO. This was a thing I wanted to ask somebody else about. You know, and it goes everywhere from to from things that I need to make sure I do like I have to call that person back to get an estimate on that thing that we're gonna do at my house or um, I have this idea to write something or there was something I was going to ask about, you know, in the day job, stuff like that. So um, drafts is amazing. And uh, the thing I liked the best about drafts before I got the watch was David's screencasts, actually, because I knew drafts was going to be cool. And really useful if I could just figure it out, and what I managed to do was block out the time to sit, David, and listen to all of your screencasts on it, and that was really how I figured out how it would fit into what I was already doing, and it just sort of eased the friction of all of the stuff I was already trying to do so thank you for that so so
1: you're using drafts really more like a like a notepad just to jot down quick ideas right
0: yes, it's so great on the watch I mean I think drafts is one of the best applications for the Apple watch because um it's really simple. You press a button and you start talking. It it captures your text and creates a draft on it. You know, just like the application, it's, it's one button simplicity. And a, a lot of more complicated applications don't necessarily translate well to the Apple Watch where drafts does. And I use it as a complication. So when I'm looking at the time of day, the upper right corner is the drafts button. And just like Kelly, I can just tap that and start talking and get something started. I don't do articles via the watch, but I get ideas like if something occurs to me and sometimes those then go from drafts to OmniFocus or some other place, but it's just that little scratch pad in your pocket, but it's on your wrist and it's digital, which is really cool. I'll I'll go ahead and put those screencasts in the show notes too, because that was fun. I did it for them and it's like 10 or 15 screencasts, all different things you can do with the app. So that makes it really easy.
2: And what I have found is that for me, the dictation. Uh, is phenomenal and like i admit like i have kind of a, a standard sounding american voice i don't have a very thick accent of any sort um and i sound pretty standard issue american however a lot of voice recognition systems even now in 2017 do not recognize a female voice even one as low as mine so about half the time if i have to call and get an automated attendant that wants you to say in a few words the reason that you're calling as often as not that attendant has no idea what i said cannot recognize it you know and then i'm just frustrated i totally get what people are experiencing in other parts of the world when they talk about how google home doesn't work for them or siri doesn't isn't able to like suss out what they're saying i still have that problem so when Siri initially came out and was able to recognize my voice at all. I was very excited because I'd never had that. And dictation has just gotten better at least for me in subsequent versions of iOS and macOS because when I'm on the elliptical I'm trying to be at a running speed and I'm usually, you know, breathing pretty heavily because I'm trying to run and I'm not, you know, I'm not a marathon runner or anything, so I'm super out of breath and even then I can hit the button on drafts and tell it something that I want it to that I want to make sure that I don't forget. And it totally parses that out for me. And so for me, that's been one of the best things is if I'm someplace loud or and and maybe I'm a little bit harder to hear if I just hold it a little closer to my to my face, like it still seems to pick everything up. okay for the most part. Um, when I am on the elliptical and I'm out of breath, it still manages to figure out what it was I was saying. And that's been one of the really great features, both of, like I said, both of iOS and macOS that uh, has really made it more useful for me is is that dictation.
0: Now, when, once you capture into drafts, do you continue writing in drafts or do you go somewhere else with the text?
2: Um, sometimes, like if I'm you know out and about for the day and i have more ideas about that same thing like i can't you know i thought i got it out of my head uh but something in my brain won't let it go and my brain keeps expanding on it you know turning that idea over um i will go into drafts and expand on it there but it's still not like actually writing anything um that usually happens in one of an one of the other apps that I have installed, I have a few different things. So, um, I do a lot in, um, plain old text for the most part. Like I still have Evernote and, uh, my Evernote default is a plain text note. So I can scoop that out and, you know, put it wherever it is. I want it to ultimately go. Uh, when I'm writing stuff for Mac observer, uh, I'm using BB edit. And when I write stuff for my own site, I use Mars edit. And, um, for longer form personal stuff, if there's some sort of other thing that I'm working on one way or another, I'll use Scrivener for that because of the layout tools in Scrivener.
0: Well, oh, you got a lot of tools there, Kelly.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, we didn't even get to like, I have a notebook for the rest of the time and I carry a Leatherman in my pocket and, you know.
0: <laughs> wait, 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 a Leatherman, would you, would you you carve it on a shovel or something? <laughs> what do you do with a Leatherman?
2: <laughs> well, here's the thing. So it's a Leatherman Micra. It's not like... You know, a a a it's it's not like a Batman utility belt sort of a tool. It's a micro. You could put it on your keys. Um, the thing I like about it is, um, first of all, there's a nail file because I find that I will get a, like a sharp corner on my fingernail pretty regularly, so I can fix that. And it's got a knife, so when stuff shows up from Amazon or whatever, I can open the package right there, and I don't have to worry about like going and tracking down a pair of scissors or anything. The screwdrivers come in really handy, even though. Uh, you know, for a lot of different things, whether it's a flathead or a Phillips head, and there's a plain, you know, a plain old little knife blade in it if I really need that. And uh like, I just find that I have a lot of reasons to use it in various ways. And it seems um more convenient, I guess, because it's just always in the little like change slash key pocket on my jeans. So. Yeah, so I I find that I have a lot of uses for it and. uh I'm I'm guessing I would have to like go, you know, find the drawer that has like the scissors and the screwdrivers and everything in it like all the time or carry a nail file in my purse and I can just carry this around instead. She's like MacGyver.
0: <laughs> I do think Kelly is the type that like if I was stuck in a room with her and we needed to build a bomb to to blow the door, that she'd probably figure it out.
2: Yeah. Um, my husband once referred to me as Swiss Army wife.
0: <laughs> okay, Okay. Having met you and your husband together, I totally get that.
2: <laughs> <Totally get laughs> well because like also like in my purse like that's just like the leatherman's just in my pocket in my purse i have an ipad charger all the time and i have um a lightning cable like a short a short little six inch lightning cable i have a battery pack uh you know lip gloss bandages like generally um you know just sort of general purpose things that are pretty good to have you know
0: well, well we've got in the outline i don't know if we'll get to it or not we got a lot to cover but but the cause- Kelly's also a big Disneyland fan. We've in fact we've gone to Disneyland together. So we're going to talk about our Disneyland rigs. But um but before we get there, um uh one of the things you told me is that you you flush out a lot of these articles, you write actually on the phone, you write them on the phone. Yeah. Tell me how you do that cuz I I uh I uh, I'm impressed with that cuz I don't think I can do it that well on the phone. I don't type fast enough. It makes me mad.
2: Well, again, dictation. Um I've gotten what I did pretty early on, like probably when I got my iPhone 3G, I started out sort of two handing it where I would hold my phone with one hand and poke at the keyboard with the index finger of the other hand. And I just felt like that wasn't very efficient. And I knew all these people who had had Blackberries before and they were all super accustomed to using their thumbs on the keyboard to type. So, like, I'm just going to two hand my phone and use both my thumbs across the keyboard. And it's sort of like, you know, it sort of maps to when you rest your hands on the keyboard of your laptop or your external keyboard or whatever, um, you know, you're still using sort of the same side for each of those things. And so that made it a little bit more, um, a little bit easier to transition to. And so I knew a lot of people with Blackberries who were managing like what seemed like crazy words per minute output just because they had gotten used to doing this with their thumbs. And so finally, one day, I just buckled down and I said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to learn to do this with two thumbs and just figure it out. And I, as I sort of forced myself to do that and spent the time, I got better at it. And uh, I think, honestly, I've been an Evernote user for a really long time. And that's where a lot of my stuff goes because I don't have to think about it. Um, if I type it on my phone and i have anything resembling connectivity where i am it will be on my computer for me later and then i can copy it out of evernote and expand on it wherever you know in in whatever app is the right app for that you know on my computer or if i if i really want to you know i can use one of the ios apps i have that will sync through dropbox and and you know again get that plain text file out of dropbox and go expand on it wherever it is i want to um the other thing that I use a lot on iOS that is super handy to me is text expander because I can use text expander and I don't have a I know I don't have a typo in my email address whenever I type it because I'm not typing my entire email address I'm just using an abbreviation that expands out the whole thing or um other like a sentence that I use a lot or something that needs auto correcting because I always type it backwards, like I always end up typing uh, "version," but it's V E R S O I N, and so I have an autocorrect for that, and so I never end up like dashing off an email to somebody that has a typo in it, or
0: um, you know. So, so, can I just interrupt there? Are you, are you using the text expander keyboard, or are you using apps that have text expander support in them? How are you how are you dealing with it?
2: I do both. Um, I use the text expander keyboard. Uh, for stuff that I know doesn 't have the the text expander awareness built in, and then what I try to do is when i 'm using other apps um I try to make sure that because I started doing this a long time ago, I started leaning toward things that were text expander aware so it 's a lot because it 's a lot easier to get things done in those capacities than uh than having to type everything out by hand and then go back and double check it and make sure it 's right. And if it's not right, having to go back and correct it.
1: Are you using a third-party mail client or are you using the built-in mail client?
2: Um, I actually am using uh, two different mail clients to separate out all of my email. So I have Airmail and I have Spark. Okay. I was just
1: wondering because I know that's where I tend to have the most difficulty um, or the most need for for the text expander and why I'm flipping over to the keyboard most often is in email because I still use Apple Mail for all that.
2: I t- yeah, I, I I see a lot of that too.
0: D- Dispatch supports text expander and sometimes I use that app just because it has text expander support in it. But I, I also have got where uh, I'm pretty fast in switching between the keyboards. So it's not that hard anymore. You just hit the little globe button a couple of times as long as you don't have too many keyboards. So in Apple Mail, I'll switch over to the Text Expander keyboard. Generally, though, I usually use the generic keyboard because I want the microphone button. I want to be able to, to start dictation, and I want the, the predictive word stuff, which I think is pretty good. It helps me type faster.
2: Yeah, that's where I end up at too uh, a lot of the time, mostly because autocorrect has gotten pretty good. And because if you use that keyboard long enough, the prediction also gets pretty good, and you can, you can sort of sort that out. So um, I know it was... It was one of those things that everybody thought was weird at first. And it's just because nobody had spent a couple of months with it yet. And now um, it's pretty solid for the most part.
0: It's my equalizer because I, I'm not that good at typing with my thumbs. You know, I'm ham fisted, you know, middle-aged guy here. So I, uh, but I do keep an eye on the predictive word. So as I, very often I don't have to finish spelling a word. So anything of any significant length and, and it's also very smart at predicting the next word. That, that's what always surprises me is when I'm composing a sentence, I guess I'm predictable because quite <laughs> often I, I don't have to type anything. I just, the next word I want to type is already available to me. Okay, so so but you're, you're banging these things out on your phone. It, it is really kind of remarkable when you think about it that, you know, these days we can write on any of our devices. It's never been easier for a writer to work on things. Uh, whether you deal with something complex like Scrivener or something as simple as drafts, it's very easy for your words to be on all your devices or, or Evernote, you know, just you type it somewhere and you just don't lose it. And you can take that for granted. And just a few years ago, that was not the case at all.
2: There was so much gyration and there was so much, um, well, there was so much gyration, you know, you had to go through a certain amount of steps just to get everything set up. And then you had to make sure that syncing was working properly, and then you sort of had to check on it. And you know, in in some cases, that's still a problem today because, like, I know a number of things that I have tried to use that had iCloud sync. Um, iCloud sync will start failing, and it never gets around to actually telling you that. You just sort of find out, and the at the point where you actually need it to be working, and it turns out it hasn't been working for some time. In some cases,
0: have you seen that recently? Because I, I have not really experienced that. And I mean, the first year it was a little sketchy, but I, like, for instance, I, uh, I use Ulysses a lot these days and I've never lost any text in it.
2: Is it syncing via iCloud? Yes. Well, I'm in the midst of a problem right now where I'm fighting with contacts where I have to convince my Mac that my mom and this phone number are in fact one and the same when my phone seems to have it all figured out. So I'm, I'm in the midst of trying to work through a sync issue at the moment. So that might be why I'm not feeling very charitable towards iCloud, but, um, like I was, I was an early adopter. I was an iTools user. I was a .Mac user and I had, I spent like, like I, I sort of feel like, uh, you know, Apple didn't dial it in quite as as early as I needed for them to. So I kind of moved on to other solutions and I've, I've sort of looked sideways at iCloud for. No, I get
0: it. I get it. If it doesn't work. I mean, we, we had Teddy Sferonis on a few weeks ago and he's been using iCloud exclusively. And I was telling him at the time, I think he's the only guest we've ever had that says he does that. Everybody has got Dropbox or something working. Um, But, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, knock on wood, I I hope all these guys and gals get it together and they're super competitive with each other. And we have the kind of arms race that benefits us consumers. I mean, I I want an abundance of choice. I'm hopeful.
2: And hearing that you've had a good report that, that Ulysses is solid for you and that there are people in the world for whom all iCloud all the time is totally working. That gives me hope. That makes me feel like maybe the next time something says, do you want to use iCloud Drive for this? I should say yes.
0: This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Gazelle, the trusted online marketplace for buying and selling used electronics. Visit gazelle.com today and let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users. Recently, I sold a bicycle on Craigslist. Everything that could go wrong with that transaction went wrong. The guy showed up with less money than he promised. Then he started hassling me with email afterwards, and it all reminded me of exactly why I love Gazelle. With Gazelle, you can trade in your used electronic devices and get cash. There's no bartering. There's no meetings in dark alleys. They give you a price. They send you a box. You mail it in, and you get money. Maybe you just got a new iPad, and you want to get some cash for the old one. Go to gazelle.com and do that. They pay you a fair price, and they make it easy. There's no point in keeping these old devices. They're just going to collect dust in a drawer, and selling your old iPhone or iPad will help you offset the cost of the new one. Gazelle also sells devices. If you're looking to buy a certified pre-owned device, Gazelle has a variety of iPhones, iPads, and Samsung Galaxy phones to choose from. Each device is fully inspected and backed by a 30-day return policy, so there's no risk, and they're sold without a carrier contract. This is significantly less expensive than buying a new one from Apple, and they're perfectly good devices. A few years ago, I bought an iPhone 6 Plus this way through Gazelle, and that phone is still in rotation in my family. If you need a little help, they even offer financing. So Gazelle's got you covered both ways. If you've got a drawer full of devices, send them in and get money for them. If you need a new device, maybe you were skydiving and you dropped your phone in the ocean, Well, then go to Gazelle and buy a certified pre-owned iPhone until the new one comes out from Apple and save yourself a few bucks. To learn more, head over to gazelle.com, that's G-A-Z-E-L-L-E, and let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users.
1: So, Kelly, one of the things that I think is, uh, you have so many jobs, you wear so many hats, but one of the things that I think is is interesting is you do social media consulting. Now, let me just start by asking what exactly does that mean?
2: Well, it can mean different things to different people. And I feel sort of bad because it seems like every time you guys ask me a really interesting question, I have to say, well, it depends. But um, part of what it means for some people is explaining it to them. Because if you want to use, for example, Facebook professionally for your business or you know your own consulting or whatever it is, or... You want to set up a new Twitter account for the company that you have just created, you know, and and you're going to go start trying to do this new, you know, maybe it's a side hustle and you have this new Twitter account and you want to, you know, is it a good idea as a company to be to be using Twitter for this kind of stuff or Instagram or Snapchat or anything like that? And uh, a lot of times what I end up doing for people who are trying to get started is Help them get started. Uh, what is the right tool for you to be using? So, if you are a store and you sell clothing, like the obvious place for you to be is Instagram because you can show people your clothes, and then, you know, tack that onto a solid Facebook presence, so that people have you know a couple of ways to contact you. And and obviously, Facebook and Instagram have some pretty good integration, so you can sort of get two for one by setting both of those up usefully for you. Now, if you are maybe somebody who is providing a service, like if you're a consultant, that isn't necessarily something that trans- translates well to photos. So maybe you need a blog and you need to go tweet about your blog posts and be listening for when people are talking about the sort of consulting that you do or, um, y- you know, or or be able to communicate with people effectively and reach out to the folks who are doing who are in the kind of space that you want to be participating in. So it's sort of sometimes it's a matter of guiding people. And then sometimes it's a matter of um, people have you know in the process gone. Well, I know I needed to sign up for social media. So I went and created these 15 different accounts on these 15 different platforms, and I'm not getting any attention on any of them. What gives? And, you know, honestly, you probably need to narrow that focus down somewhat and then figure out where, is going to where it is going to be useful for you to be spending that time. And one of the things that's weird about that is not being able to um you know not everything necessarily fits in a spreadsheet, so sometimes some of this stuff is harder to track.
0: So uh you know because you help people with this in your mind instead of the 15 different social media platforms, what are the 3 or 4 folks that own their own business should be really thinking about these days?
2: Well, first is Facebook, because everybody's on Facebook. And yes, it can be hard to figure out. Um, and I'm not talking about like purchasing, you know, um, sponsoring posts or Facebook ads or anything like that. I'm just talking about having a presence on Facebook where people can like you and people can talk about you and you can be part of that conversation. So um, you can go, you know, uh, to use the, the shop as an example, I can find them on Facebook, and maybe finding them on Facebook, I can send them a message and say, hey, I'm looking for this particular version of Boba Fett. Do you have it? You know, and they'll, they'll be able to tell me. And that's a really easy way to have a customer presence that's very easy to interact with. And then, you know, yes, of course we have it. And because you found us on Facebook, I'm going to give you two dollars off if you come in in the next two days. You know, well, now I'm going to like that page and I'm going to tag that place on Facebook and say, you should go here for all your Star Wars guy needs because they totally helped me out. And the next time they get an ad at, I'm totally getting one for the Star Wars garden in my backyard. You know, everybody wins. So um Facebook I would say is one to definitely be on as long as you're going to interact with it. If, you know, you can't just sort of feed stuff into it. And then when people start reacting to it and coming to you and trying to interact with you, like you still have to be engaging them.
0: Yeah. I think that's one of the big pieces of advice is you can't you can't just set up a static social media accounts, social media by its essence requires you to be involved with it.
2: Right. I mean, social is right in the name. (laughs) So you kind of, you kind of have to do that. Um, I've been on Twitter for about, for a little over 10 years now, because now when I start looking at time hop and scroll back far enough, I will still find, I will find stuff now from 2007. So um, like Twitter has evolved a ton in that amount of time. And it's still, it's still a place where you can have the level of engagement that you want so you just have to be able to put in the time like before you even get into the the unwanted engagement part of it like you can follow people or not follow people and what you make of your timeline is completely up to you and so if you only need it to be emergency kittens and funny photos and You know, some other like, you know, Riker Googling and some other entertaining accounts. Like if that's all you want is to go and check in and get your little bit of amusement for the day and then check back out again, you can totally do that. And if you want to use it and only follow uh, local reporters, for example, so that you have a good idea of what's going on in your city where you live, you can do that, too. And you can turn it into your own custom local news feed. And that's another awesome way to use Twitter. Like, you don't have to be following George Takei and Justin Bieber and Katy Perry, like, if that's not what you want to be doing.
0: Well, what's your advice to small businesses when they're looking at the differences between Twitter and Facebook? I mean, what's the right platform or what are the considerations they should think about?
2: Well, I feel like you probably need to be on Facebook um, if you feel like you have the resources to interact on on a a higher level than that um, then I would say to go to Twitter as well and uh, one of there's there's two accounts that I would say are really good examples uh, as brands and the reason for that is because they're both local and I've been talking back and forth with those accounts for a really long time Uh, one of them is Tillamook Cheese because they have a Twitter account and they talk about the ice cream and they talk about the, the dairy and they talk about the cheese factory and they do that all the time. And so, you know, every day there's a new recipe, you know, and they have like one day of the week. It's always some sort of variety of grilled cheese. And they talk to people about all kinds of stuff and they stay they, they stay engaged. And they're very interesting to follow for that reason, because it's not Tillamook cheese 100 percent of the time. You know, that's who they are. Um, But but they don't just tweet commercials every hour on the hour for 12 hours a day or anything like that. Like you can tell it's real people and you can tell that that they're interested in in whatever other, you know, whatever other things are happening and, you know, what's going on locally. And they're they're, Their social media folks are pretty good as far as that goes. And I've been so I've really liked that account. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, you see the stuff like the huge. Brands that do interesting stuff once in a while, you know, and those get attention too. But, you know, again, it's the kind of thing that, like, I don't know that Tillamook Cheese can put me in a spreadsheet, you know, because they don't know that the direct correlation between, like, they tweeted something that I laughed at earlier today and now I'm at the store and one of the things on my list is cheese and which one am I going to buy? So, you know, there's not like a straight line between those things. So you can't always say for sure. Um, one of the nice things with Twitter is that you can share images, but like if if whatever your business is doesn't necessarily have images all the time, that's okay, and you can still be on Twitter and not put an image at the bottom of every single post, and you know still be engaging with people, interacting with people, and be interesting, and that will help people find you and remember you.
0: My wife uh, spent a year getting a social media certificate from UCLA a few years ago, and uh, oh my gosh, I guess she helps people out with this, and she the thing that always makes her crazy is when people say, well, I want to see how many more likes I can get or how many more follow They want to measure it by some metric um, where they don't even really care about what the quality of the experiences with the people so much as there's some kind of number they can put in a spreadsheet. And, and that's, I think quite often making a mistake when you're trying to do social media.
2: Yeah. And you know, another thing, like there's still something to be said for just having a website. You know, you can go to wordpress.com and for $20 a year, you can have your own domain name registered. And when people type it in, they get your website. It's just hosted by wordpress.com. So you don't have to have your own hosting account. You don't have to like add an FTP password to your password manager. You don't have to upload files to some mystery location. You can just use WordPress and make it look like you want it to look and If you need to make an update, like if you're a a place that has summer hours and winter hours, you can do that. And it's very easy. And you don't have to know HTML in order to make that happen. You can just work it out. And that's one of the other things that, you know, can still be really useful. And I think one of the things that people need to consider with any social media platform is what does this look like on people's phones? Because I can't tell you how frustrated I get when I go to a restaurant website, even still. Now, today, and the whole front page is Flash. And so I can't get anywhere because I can't click on anything in Flash to take me to the menu or the hours or the address. And I find that really frustrating. And that's honestly one of the reasons I think Yelp took off the way that it did initially was because you could go to Yelp and find out exactly what intersection that restaurant was at and how late they're open. And you didn't have to worry about updating Flash in order to just be able to see their website. What
1: tools are you using to help manage social media presence um, for companies? Because I would assume in addition to consulting for them, you actually do some of the social media for people. I mean, are there specific, if if you're going to do social media um, as, as kind of part of your company, I assume that there are better tools out there than just using, you know, the, the main Twitter app or TweetBot or one of those things.
2: Yeah. Um, so one of the, there's, A couple of things out there that are um, pretty easy to use. One that I like personally is Hootsuite, and um, there are a number of reasons I like them. Like at some point many years ago, they followed me on Twitter and like would engage with me, and so that was you know I I knew about them and their tool because they talked to me. You know when there were way less people on Twitter, (laughs) so um, I like them because they will allow you to schedule posts, and you can literally create a CSV and upload it for posts for, I think it goes up to like 365 days in the future. So if you actually do have a year of social media all planned out and ready to go, you can upload that now and they will just sort of sit in your scheduled. And they also have a mobile component. So you can you can look and manage and update and do all of that on your phone if you want to. And so that's one of the tools that that I recommend to people. Partly for the scheduling, and because it does a variety of services, so it will do a, um, it will do more than one Twitter account. It will do Facebook pages. It will do Google Plus. It will do LinkedIn. Um, that's most of the that's most of the ones that I have used regularly, and I, I know there are more services that it will allow you to use, but I just don't remember what they are off the top of my head. Um, the other one that a lot of people use is um, Buffer, which is another app that. Uh, comes in a, a Mac flavor, I believe a windows flavor, and uh, you can use that to uh, schedule things out and you know you you can use it to to track replies and things and the important thing about anything that you're doing in social media um isn't necessarily like I said being able to measure that in a spreadsheet, but being able to get at it so having a dashboard that you can get a good look at and see um you know if you have a specific search that you are doing, you know, that is these words, but not these words, just to make sure that you're getting, you know, that you've fine tuned the kind of conversation you want to be listening to. And maybe you set up a couple different complicated searches and then anything that fits those criteria just pops up in that column. If you're using Hootsuite and you can customize those views to be whatever you want. So usually what I have is, um, the The feed for all the people that that particular Twitter account is following, and then one for mentions, and then one that's a search. So anytime anybody uses the word for your product. Um, the example I can give is uh, my husband and his business partner are uh, trying to get a spice importing business off the ground. So um, I've set up some searches in Hootsuite for the Twitter account and for mentions of the Twitter account and then for... Um, pepper uh, without a few other criteria to make sure that the only pepper stuff that actually shows up there is like salt and pepper pepper and then another one for a couple of different kinds of pepper to see if people are are talking about that you know and then like um there are a couple other specific salt searches that i set up and you know just to be able to see that stuff and find out who the people are who are talking about that stuff the most because those are people that you want to follow and those are people that you want to mention, you know, reply to them and be like, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Or do you have a link to more information about that or, you know, whatever. And I think sometimes people feel like they look bad if they don't know, or if they, they ask about something, you know, I want to learn more and there's, there's no shame in that game. You know, like maybe if you are a Mac consultant, for example, and you, you know, and, and you go on Twitter and say, so... Sierra's out now? Like that's a thing. Should I upgrade? Like maybe that one isn't maybe that's not the best example of something you should broadcast publicly. But if somebody writes about having a weird issue in high Sierra, you may want to press them for more information. Do you have a screenshot of what that looks like? Or uh what do you, what does the console log say about that so that you're able to help that person like you are able to learn something from them. And maybe if you ask them a question, they go, oh, hey, I didn't think about that. Look at that. The console tells me you didn't check this box dipstick. You should really have had that box checked and you wouldn't have this problem. You know, sometimes it's as easy as that. And maybe you helped somebody out just by trying to find out more yourself.
0: Yeah, it, and, but it's manageable now. I think that's the, the thing, you know, you get the right apps and you have the right attitude about it. It's not that hard to incorporate a social media policy into your business.
1: MindNode makes mind mapping easy with their apps for the Mac, iPad, and iPhones. You can learn more by heading over to MindNode.com. MindNode helps you visualize your ideas. You can start with a central thought and then brainstorm and then organize and share your mind map. So why would you want to create a mind map? Well, we've got a bunch of ideas floating around in our head, and sometimes they don't always come out in nice, clean, organized outlined fashion. And that's what mind nodes to help you with. So you get all these ideas, you get them out in your mind map, and then you can organize them however you desire, quickly and easily using your Mac or iOS device. MindNote has a clean interface that lets you capture and connect your ideas with ease. The expanding canvas and smart layout keeps up with your ideas, no matter how big or complicated they may get. And if you're a bit of a neat freak like me, you'll really appreciate their smart layout feature because nothing's worse than a mind map that's all jumbly and cluttered that you don't know where to even start. Smart layout f- will keep your mind map automatically tidy and neat. MindNode makes it easy for you to stay organized by easily rearranging your thoughts and folding away in multiple different directions. You can even use notes to add different detail and find ideas quickly in their outline view. So it even works for outliners like me too. Of course, MindNode is available both on a Mac and iOS, which means you can have your MindNodes with you wherever you may be. They sync seamlessly using iCloud Drive, so you can have all of your documents anywhere with you on all of your devices. If you want to learn more, head over to mindnode.com, M I N D N O D E.com, and I strongly suggest you take a look at the excellent series of screencasts done by our own Max Sparky. There you can learn more about Mindnode and how to use the application and mind mapping in general. So learn more about how MindNode makes mind mapping easy over at mindnode.com. And thanks for your support of MacPower users.
0: Kelly, you do so many things. You wear so many hats. I also know you do tech support for several companies. Um, We've never had anybody on the show that did that.
2: Well, maybe not professionally. I'm sure everyone on your show is amateur tech support.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we do it for our families and our friends. And Katie and I do it for a a big piece of the internet, it feels like some days um, but 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 you know it must be there must be it must be interesting and challenging all at once to to have people call in about software they don't understand
2: well f- first of all, I don't take phone calls, so that's been um the biggest evolution <laughs> and and honestly, the reason I can still do technical support because I don't have to take phone calls, and the reason that that I like not taking phone calls. I understand that sometimes it's easier to just sort it out in a phone call. I totally get that. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have an 800 number or even, you know, not an 800 number where people can just call you up and ask you the question and get the answer and hang up. But with the evolution of cell phones, a lot of people call when they're nowhere near their computer and then don't have the basic information that you need from them. So what version of Mac OS are you running? The latest. Okay. But what number, you know, 10, 9. That's not the latest. So, you know, and what's the error message? I don't know. It gives me some error about how it can't do what I'm trying to do. Well, what are you trying to do? Well, it doesn't work. You know, I need more information than that. And so that's one of the nice things about um, having a, a form or at least having an email address where people have to sit down and write an email because you can include a screenshot. I can totally see what it is you're looking at, or I can. Um, ask the right questions based on what I know you have. You know, if you have an older version of the app and you have the latest version of Mac OS, I know those don't get along. So when you tell me that that's what you're using, you know, let's use Evernote as an example, because I've talked about it already. You know, I I have Evernote too, and it doesn't work on High Sierra. Well, (laughs) guess what? (laughs) Maybe you need to update your software at least as often as you update your operating system. And then, you know, you wouldn't have this problem. So In some cases, it makes that stuff a lot easier. And uh, one of the things that's that has honestly helped uh, in all the tech support I've done for for at least 10 years now is um, text expander, because a lot of people will ask the same questions. A lot of different people are all asking the same question over and over and over again. And when I have to send out six steps and each step is three or four sentences a piece of, you know, do this and then restart and then figure out, you know, is it still giving you that error? And if it is, you need to do this and if it's giving you something else, you need to do that. And being able to send that out to people with the bulk of the steps, you know, I know they're accurate. I know those are exactly the right steps. I know that anybody, you know, when when we've when I've worked in in companies where the information has been shared across teams, Anyone who replies to that message is going to be using the same set of information and operating from that same common knowledge base has been really helpful. And making that stuff easier to get out to people gets more people help. So, um, you know, it's not just a robo response or anything, you know, especially if people are asking something particular, you know, you sometimes have to write the entire email front to back you know, by hand, this is what's happening. This is how you fix it. This is the thing that is causing you trouble. Um, here's how you can avoid that in the future. And, you know, not everything has like a text expander snippet or a canned reply that you can use. And it's just a matter of being able to do some of that stuff uh, more effectively so that you can help more people, you know, and and really be efficient at what you're doing. And that stuff, that stuff for me has been really Helpful because I can spend the time, like the first time somebody writes in with this weird problem, you know, I might write them a really nice response. And then all of a sudden, it turns out there's a bunch more people that are having the same issue. Well, I wrote that really nice response to that first person. I can take that and adapt it. And then I have the same reply to give to other people who are having the same problem. And, you know, I end up finessing other parts of the message, you know, depending on what the specific situation is. But being able to send somebody a list of steps. That I know will work for them, that I know is accurate, that I know doesn't have any typos, that's formatted nicely. I can send that out in a snap, and being able to do that is um, super, super useful.
0: Yeah, I use that feature in Text Expander with the selection boxes. So, you know, like when I do tech support for some of my books and things, um, there's a certain email I can send that's like three or four items I can choose from. And maybe this person needs all four, maybe they only need one of these points. And again, that just saves you so much time.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think with iOS 11, um, iOS tech support is going to get a lot easier with the screen recording ability. They've added this thing in iOS 11 where anybody in your control center, there's a little red button. You press it and it just starts recording. So if somebody has a problem with their phone or their iPad app, they can press the red button. they They can just do whatever it is that's not working for them. And then when, then you press the red button again, it saves that video to your photos library. And then you could mail that to, to Kelly, who's doing tech support. She could see where you got hung up and then she could send you her own video showing you where, you know, you went wrong with it. I, I think the visual and the the ability to share, um, the screencast or the, the video of the screen that way, man, that's going to make things so much easier. Because so much of this stuff is just like, which button are you pressing? Is it the one that looks like a hamburger or the one that looks like a square? <laughs> you know, people people get lost in that.
2: Well, and even, you know, in my own house, like Mr. Kelly will ask me a question about I'm trying to do this thing. And I say, OK, so do this and then hit the share button and then you can send it off in messages or whatever, you know, and he's which one is the share button or um You know, he will tell me something about what's happening and I will ask him, you know, what happened. And he says, well, I tapped on the menu and the menu says do this. And I'm like, there's no menu that says that, you know, and I go look and stand over his shoulder. And it turns out, you know, he like swiped from the side of the screen and it pops up this whole other menu that isn't, you know, the hamburger menu in the top left, for example, or or whatever it is. And so sometimes it's a lot easier. And honestly, when I saw that in the keynote, when they were talking about or not in the keynote, Um, somebody on Twitter was talking about, did you see that they've added this as part of iOS 11? And there was a whole conversation about it. And I was really excited to see that for exactly the reasons that you outlined, (laughs) because I thought, hooray, when people write in about iOS, a lot of times they're writing in on their Mac so they can use a, a real keyboard, air quotes, and a quote, real screen, you know, to sit down and, and fill out the message, you know, and make sure that they get everything said that they want to say. And so being able to, to go, this is what happens and send me a video of what exactly they're seeing on their iPad or on their iPhone is really exciting to me. And it's sometimes I feel like I almost have the opposite reactions to some things. You know, like we'll see, we'll see something about the new version of iOS in a keynote and a bunch of people are really excited and I look at it and I just think, this is going to be a support disaster area. Like, how is this going to be a thing that works? That's never going to, that's never going to work. It looks too confusing for, for people who don't spend their whole lives developing for this ecosystem, people who just want to get something done. They're never going to be able to figure out that's what that button does. This is going to be so frustrating. And then I just sort of feel bad for future me having to wade through whatever this new feature is that doesn't quite work like it's supposed to, like people think that it should, you know, or, um, You know, or something like screen recording, a lot of people maybe kind of went, eh, you know, and I'm like, this is amazing. And so sometimes I feel like as a person who spends most of their time in the support trenches, it's a very different experience to listen to new features of iOS or macOS or, you know, even like Windows and Android stuff as as new features come to those platforms. Like, Listening to this stuff and seeing it and and having a pretty good feel for what feels like a room full of engineers designed it and didn't ask anybody they don't work with how that was actually going to be used or how that was actually going to work for for people who aren't necessarily engineers. And sometimes it's pretty easy to tell those things because um, they're the things that people have the most questions about once that stuff's released to the public.
0: I've been using iOS 11 for a few months now, or for a few weeks now, and I, I like a lot of it. I think it's going to be great, but some of the stuff I think a lot of normal people are going to have hard trouble with the uh, some of the gestures with the finger things where you're using two hands to move things, and I I, I don't know how that's all going to play out. Hopefully, it'll get easier by the time they release it, but that, that's something that that makes me wonder going forward.
1: As someone who does tech support as a as a day job, what are your pet peeves? When, when people call in and write for things? And you don't, you have to name name names, but what, put a more positive way, what should people do better when they're calling and asking for tech support?
2: Um, people who are complete. Um, when, the, when the entire content of the message is, it doesn't work or it stopped working and I don't know how to fix it. Um, at this point, neither do I, because you didn't tell me what app or what version or what it's doing that is giving you the impression that it doesn't work? Um, you know, does it launch or, uh, you know, is it that you can't, f- that you got a new computer and you restored a time machine backup and now you just can't find the app? Because that's a very different problem than, um, you know, there's an update that's gone bad, and every time I double click on it in the Applications folder, it just crashes on me, and it gives me this note that says it crashed. And do I want to send the crash report to Apple? Um, knowing some very basic information about the problem is the thing that is going to help you. Particularly if you're if you're contacting support via email, um, a screenshot is super helpful. The exact text of the error message, a version number, those are all things that um, I would not think of sending a message without, and, uh, I get a lot of them where people have not done any of those things. So, uh, you know, even what computer it is, you know, if, if this is an application that has both a Mac version and a windows version, and maybe also has an iOS version or an Android version or a windows phone version, um, which one are you using? Because if I tell you to go to the Apple menu and choose about, you know, and you're on the Windows version, now we have to go through a whole nother round of email where you say, I don't have an Apple menu. I'm on Windows 10. And i uh, oh, well, in that case, you need to go here and do this, you know, to find out that information. And if I had known from the beginning that you were on Windows 10, I would have told you that in the first place. Go here, right click, whatever. So um completeness, because I would rather wade through the eight things, the eight pieces of information that you sent in about the problem to find the four that are relevant, then get one and have to go back and ask you for the other three so that I know which information you need in order to get up and running again. Cause like I'm not in the business of making this a longer support transaction than it needs to be. If you, if things aren't working for you the way they are, It is in everyone's best interest for you to be up and running as soon as possible. I don't want you to have to spend a bunch of time trying to fix something that isn't working. I know that's not what you do. I'm trying to help you get up and running as fast as possible. So when you write in and you tell me, I have Sierra and I have version 27 of your app. And every time I launch it, it gives me this dialog box that says that this system preference isn't set right. I went and looked at that system preference and here's a screenshot of what I have set. This is what the, you know, the error message told me this is what it should look like. And this is what it and it looks like that, but I'm still not able to get anything working. What happened? I can probably get you an answer for that in one message. I can reply to you and tell you, here's what happened. Here's how it's fixable. This is what you need to do. And then you're up and running again. And all you had to do was wait for me to reply once to that message.
1: Yeah, it seems it seems so straightforward, but yet so many people don't do it
2: <laughs> well and the thing that i that i always liken it to i find that um as technology goes people are really familiar with cars you know everybody's grown up in a world with cars and how they work and and what that's like so um you know on the like i always explain to people like would you call your mechanic and say the thing that i drive is making a funny noise your mechanic's going to need to know is it a car or a truck is it a ford or a chevy or is it a honda you know, what year is it? And, you know, is it a loud noise? Is it a quiet noise? Is it it only when you start the car? Is it only in reverse? Like you have to give a mechanic more information in order to troubleshoot your problem. And tech support is is basically the same thing. I need to have some idea of what the setup is and some idea of what's going wrong so that I can help you get it back on track.
0: Well, uh, as someone who does it for a living, that's good information to have.
2: Yeah. And also the other thing I would point out is I didn't break the thing that is broken on your computer. (laughs) And so some people start off an email as though I personally am the one responsible for what happened. And they don't mean me. They just mean whoever gets this email. And sometimes there's a lot of venom in those. And that doesn't help get things working any faster. Like Maybe you feel better, but maybe if you just Leaned into the screen and set it, and then typed something that was useful. I could help you more quickly because you wouldn't be spending all that time crafting the part about how I'm su- I suck and I'm terrible and and my app is stupid and you're going to sue me because it's broken. When you know, my answer might be if you check for updates, the latest version fixes that problem, or if you just go check the box that says don't crash on startup, it stops crashing on startup you know, like
0: <laughs> just be kind to people. <laughs> it's not that hard, you know? Yeah. Even if it is their fault, I, I very seriously doubt they're, they're doing it on purpose. So give them a chance.
2: Well, and I would even go further and just say, you don't have to be mean. Like, I know you're writing in because it's broken and you're writing to me because you don't have the means to fix it, whatever those means are. So Just don't be mean. Just write in. And, you know, if you want to be Joe Friday, you know, that's no problem. I have this computer. I have this version of your app. I have this problem. Okay, you told me everything I need to know. And if you want to go full Joe Friday and just give me all the facts, I can come back to you and go, go here, open this menu, check this box, restart the app. You're good. You should be good. If that doesn't work, let me know.
1: Well, Kelly, I want to talk a little bit about home automation. Uh, and I know we're we're running close to our, our time here, but we did a show on home automation a couple of weeks ago now, but this is an area where you have a lot of passion. And I wanted to make sure that we kind of got <laughs> your take on home automation, because um, I know you've cost a lot of people a lot of money. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you got into it and, and your setup.
2: I got into it because uh, it was something that I thought would be interesting. And about five years ago, my husband and I bought a new house and moved. And we had the opportunity with uh, the way the timing worked out. We had about three months lead time where uh, we had a place to live. And yet um, we owned our house and we were able to uh, you know, do things ahead of time without having to worry about moving quite so much. So we had like an, a big window for move in and things like that. So we were able to do stuff like with an empty house, it's a piece of cake to call somebody and have them clean all the carpets before you move in, for example. Um, it's also very easy to come crawl around in all the places, you know, in the attic and in the crawl space and get a good look at what's what and figure out how you want to wire stuff because you don't have to contend with a couch or a TV that's already on the wall or, you know, any of those other things and be able to sort of lay out how you want networking to happen. And, you know, does every room need an Ethernet cable? And if they do, um, how are we going to wire those together? And and what are we going to do to make sure that there's Wi-Fi everywhere and how, you know, um, what do we need to do about an alarm system? And, you know, different things like that. We were able to really take time to sort of make those decisions. And. At the time, one of the first things we looked at was thermostats because there were uh, it was just before the nest, I think. And we were looking at um, are there any that are maybe addressable with your phone or um, something where you can monitor remotely? So maybe if we needed to, we could turn it up or turn it down, like if we're not home, you know, because like I said, before the nest, like that was the thing that you would have to do by hand. So, um. We sort of started fooling around with it, and then um, my husband thought it was terribly interesting, and so he ran with it. So, uh, you know, he would come home and go, I ordered a couple of new, you know, internet addressable power outlets so that we can plug stuff in outside. And when we have Christmas lights, it will be easy to turn them on and off, and we don't have to go outside in December to do it. That sounds awesome. You know, (laughs) Um, I bought a couple of Wemo switches to see what we can do with them. That sounds great. So um, it was Philips Hue Lights, I think, that did him in. I think that's what sent him around the bend, uh, finding out that you could change, <laughs> so change the color. <laughs> <laughs> change color and, uh, you know, do it all from your phone. Do it when you're not home. You know, use an app like Ambify and do it all to music. So, you know, um, next time you're in town, David, you should come by because my basement is essentially a discotheque. <laughs> I heard that. I heard that. It's I heard it's great. It's a,
0: a jungle-themed discotheque
2: it is it's a it's vaguely tiki themed um which is probably a story for a whole other show but um like the thing about the thing with the with the lighting was that it was a really fun thing to play with and a fun thing to string together you know and one of my favorite things about it is that it's it is really boring honestly um I set up a rule for geofencing so that when I come home, I come home and I, I come in through the, the garage door into the basement. And when I come home, if it's dark and no lights in the basement are on, it will turn on the light nearest the door. So even if I left and it was daytime, I can come home at night and the light will be on for me and I don't have to come home to an empty house. And it's a very small thing, but I really like that I don't have to leave a light on 24 hours a day on the off chance that I'm leaving and coming home and you know don't want to come home in the dark.
0: So now, is that a Hue light with an, if this then that recipe or how how are you doing it?
2: Um the Hue light the Hue app has built in a built in geofencing feature. So you can tell it like when I come home if you know when I come home after sunset turn this light on.
0: One of the fun, we cuz we did this show just recently and it got me thinking about HomeKit and you know can I get deeper into HomeKit now? And you know one of the problems I have is I live with three other people who aren't not necessarily tuned into all this stuff. And the, the Hue lights are great when the switch is turned on. And when the switch is turned off, they have no power and they don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no reliability to them. And so I, I've just started like investigating and searching like these these switches, like replacing the actual switch. So if the family turns the lights off, I, I can actually turn them back on and make it work. Have you worked with any of that stuff?
2: I've worked with a little bit of it. Um, we do have uh, some they're not Hue Philips Hue brand switches, but we do have a couple. um, I think they're, they're GE switches like Iris compatible. And we bought a Vera home automation brain so that we can do stuff like um, we have some landscape lighting in the backyard and um, a couple of side lights, like uh, one over the door in the back of the house and one over the garage door, the, the garage door on the side of the house. Um, that are motion detectors, but I don't want them to detect motion. Like, for example, now at four in the afternoon in full sunshine, like I don't need it to detect motion and turn the light on. So um, there. So we, we wired those lights to these switches and these switches are set on a, a PM sort of set of actions within the Vera software so that at night for a certain... At night from like those are from sunset to sunrise. Uh, That's when they're turned on. And so then the motion detectors work on them. And then the backyard lights come on 10 minutes before sunset and they stay on for like four hours after that. And then they kick off. So um, I have some stuff set up like that automatically. And and those are the stuff. Those are the things that are. Interesting to see, but are the most boring to talk about. Like my lights come on in the backyard when it's dark. That's (laughs) like that's that's not a very interesting thing. But, you know, um, I can play Johnny Aloha Island music while I have a cocktail in my basement and the lights will change color in time with the music like that's really interesting, but very frivolous. Like, I totally get that that's a frivolous thing to be doing, but it's also but, you know, the the fun stuff is the stuff that sometimes is the least useful. And the really useful stuff is is not always as interesting to talk about.
0: All right. And how much of your system is on Apple's HomeKit at this point?
2: So very little of my stuff is on HomeKit. Um, And the reason for that is because when we were first getting things that were HomeKit compatible, um, you sort of had to put compatible in air quotes. Because like if you went through the right gyrations during the right phase of the moon, you could sometimes get stuff to work was sort of my experience at the beginning. And I totally like I'm not mad about that because I was an early adopter and like 1.0 always has rough edges. And I totally get that. But the thing that was frustrating to me is even now, um, if I am not the only person living in my house and this is, David, where I thought you were going with with uh, your HomeKit frustration was I have to invite someone to my house. So like Mr. Kelly set up some device and went to add it to HomeKit because it was like walking through like, here's, you know, it has HomeKit compatibility and all you have to do is set this up. So he set it up and then I said, well, how do I run it? And he goes, I don't know. Let me look. So he went and opened up like home and was looking at that and he was going to have to invite me to my house as the, you know, and then give me admin privileges so that I could turn on the lights or, you know, whatever thing it was. And I sort of went, that's dumb, I'm out. And then I was like, can I set it up myself? And no, I can't because if I try to set up my own home with the same device, that device can only be tied to one home, which makes a certain amount of sense, but is causing me no end of frustration because what I would really like to see from Apple if anyone from Apple is listening, please get a pen, I'll wait. Um, tie it to an Apple ID. And then if your Apple ID is set up for family sharing, then everyone else will have access to that same thing and they can all turn on the lights or turn off the lights or you know, change the color or whatever it is that's happening. And for me, that's still the frustrating thing like when that, when they put up that whole page of HomeKit stuff and all the great things you can do with it. I'm like None of these people live with other people because otherwise it would be no end of frustration because you'd end up in David's situation. People just use the switch because they can't figure out how to make it work with their phone because they didn't get invited to their own house
0: yeah i, I it's just like it's not quite there yet and um we're actually going to do another show on this we have a, a listener who does professional. Uh, home automation installs and we've got them booked. I, I don't want to like flood the, the feed with shows on the on, uh, home <laughs> automation, but in about six months we we're, we've already booked it and we're starting to prep the outline and uh, we're going to have a guy in who does nothing but professionally installs this stuff. And, and he has a lot of answers for those questions, but I think all of us are kind of feeling that like, you feel like you spend money on this stuff and it doesn't quite work right. And, uh, and I see where it's going. I like the idea of home where it's all in one place and easily accessible. But it feels to me like the edges are real rough right now.
2: Well, and I feel like it's not even all the edges. And I think that's the problem that I'm having is that it's it's so close to being something I could set up for my mom that my mom would be able to use effectively or my dad or um, my in-laws or, you know, I know everybody uses their mom as an example. My mom is a reasonably technical person. But if my mom pulls out her phone to turn a light bulb on and off and it doesn't work, like she's not going to have the well, first of all, she's not going to have the patience to sit and fool around with. Why can't I turn the light on? She's just going to go use the switch and not tell me that it broke. And then, you know, in six months, <laughs> I'll go visit her and go, why is your light switch off? And she'll go, oh, I just couldn't get it to work. You know, and, and that'll be that'll be it. You know, um so for me, the the issues that I have with any of the automation stuff are compounded by the fact that for the most part, it's pretty good, but it's not quite there yet. And I'm frustrated that that last edge is just so sharp, you know, that it it's going to cut everybody. And I think that's my biggest hang up at the moment is I I know it can be good. Like, I don't even have to stand on tiptoe to see where this is going but it's not quite there and honestly the thing that kept the thing that sort of made me i guess give up on HomeKit, is um we got some amazon units and i don't want to wake them up so i call them amazon units when i have to record things and uh echo Base, as i like to call the big one that we have um when we when we got that i uh The conversation went as follows. Uh, I texted my husband and said, hey, Mr. Kelly, uh, Best Buy has the Echo Base for like 40 bucks off or whatever it was, you know, some sort of like at that time unheard of discount like about a year ago. And he said, well, when is Apple going to come out with theirs? And I said, I don't know if Apple's ever going to do anything more than what they've done where you can talk to the remote for the Apple TV and make some stuff happen. Like maybe that functionality will expand, but I don't see anything from them that leads me to believe that this is a done deal. So I don't know when, if ever, there's going to be an Apple one that you can have, you know, so you can have Siri boss the lights around. And he said, well, does Best Buy still have the return policy on these? And I went and looked and I came back and said, yeah. And he said, "Okay, order it and I'll pick it up on the way home. We can always take it back. Well, it's still here. And I can tell it to turn on the lights. I can tell it to adjust the Ecobee thermostat. I can ask it for basic information. What's the weather? What's in the news? um, When was that person born? You know, all those different sorts of things that that you want to find out. Um, I can use it to control my Wemo switches. I can use it to turn on, um, you know, some of the other lights in the house. And so for me, like HomeKit wasn't an issue because I'm able to do most of that. Uh, thanks to Echo Bass. And then I bought we bought another uh, dot to put in the kitchen. And so I can I can play music on it. Um, I can you know tell it to turn lights on and off. I can tell it to adjust the thermostat so the heat is or isn't running as I see fit. And for the most part, that's all I wanted to do. And, you know, I have that functionality now. So I'm not I'm not as hot to sort of force HomeKit to bend to my will you know, like I would be if I didn't have another option to just tell stuff to work. So,
0: well, well, it's early days and I do, I do feel like this is going to get sorted out. And, and I think at the end of the day, there are going to be these different systems. I don't think we're ever going to have, you know, one universal system. I just don't think these companies are going to ever surrender in that regard, but but hopefully it gets a little more stable. I think in my case, and this is, you know, whatever, but the uh, I want to get switches. At some point, I'm going to find the right switches and put them in the walls. So when people turn the lights off, I don't lose control of the lights. Because like for me right now, the automation stuff works great when the lights are on. And and that, there's there's a lot of times that helps. Like you go up to bed and you realize, oh, I left the lights on in the kitchen. Well, you can turn it off from your phone. That's really nice. But when you're coming home at night, it's a crapshoot whether or not you'll be able to turn the lights on in the house or not, because if somebody turned the switches off before you left, then they don't work anymore.
2: And uh, the ones that that we have that I can recommend, we have a couple of switches and we have a couple of outlets and I bought them at Lowe's because they are branded as Iris compatible, Um, but they are not incompatible with other systems. I'm not sure via HomeKit what control for those would look like. But I know that um, I can control them like three or four different ways, so uh, it's entirely possible that something HomeKitable would be able to address those. Uh, I can't say, like I said, I can't tell you that for certain. But um, they're pretty agnostic; they're not like Iris branded. And if you don't use the Iris app, then the, all of these things are dead to you. Like that's that's not the case. <laughs> so they do play well with the other stuff that I already have set up at my house. So maybe there's a possibility that there's some HomeKit solution for those that would make them. Um, something that you should consider and i'll get you a link for those so we can put that in the show notes because it's uh, they've been really handy uh, like i said for christmas lights and for the motion sensing lights because then they don't kick off in the middle of the afternoon
0: this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by omni outliner whether you're taking notes making lists brainstorming or starting your book omni outliners for you learn more at omnigroup.com omni outliner Omni Outliner is quite simply the best outlining application for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. It's been actively developed for many years and the people working on it are super smart. What makes it special is that it's easy to create an outline in Omni Outliner. You know, you're building it, all the keyboard shortcuts or whatever device you're on, it's gonna work with you to quickly capture your thoughts and ideas. And then when you're done, it looks beautiful. So let me give you a quick war story. I use Omni Outliner to outline contracts for clients, and I represent a lot of creatives, and recently I got a new client that's an advertising agency. So I was working with them on a contract, and after I talked to them and got an idea, I used Omni Outliner to outline the contract for them, all the thoughts and ideas that I thought we needed. So I sent it off to them, and then I got a call from the chief creative at the company, the person most involved with creative decisions, and she was losing her mind over my outline. It wasn't the contents of the outline, which I hope she liked, but it was the way it looked. She said, what is this typography? How did you make this outline? So they were looking at my outline, talking about how great it looked. Don't you want your bosses, coworkers, clients, teachers, and everybody looking at the stuff you create and having the same experience? That's just one of the benefits you get with Omni Outliner. The Omni Group has recently released version 5 of Omni Outliner. They have the Essentials Edition, which is a minimal focused outlining experience. And if you need the Pro Tools, you go with Omni Outliner Pro and you get all the bells and whistles. Either way, the application is going to work great and make your outlines look good and, frankly, make it easy for you to collect and organize your thoughts. So go check it out at omnigroup.com slash and let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. All right, Kelly, I know you live in Portland, but you like to come down to Anaheim on occasion. And uh, in fact, you and I have partook in the uh, Disneyland trips together once in a while. And it's summertime. I thought it'd be fun to take just a few minutes to talk about uh, what tech gear do you take when you go to a theme park or the zoo or just a day out? I mean, uh, the stuff we're going to we're talking, of course, in terms of Disneyland, because we're spoiled uh, people that go to Disneyland often. But anybody going out (laughs) for the day uh what 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 technology are you bringing with you when you go to these places
2: well um sometimes it it's a question of of what resources are going to be available to me there so like if i'm going to a conference for example like um uh, you know if i'm at WWDC or i'm at MacStock or something um there's a much more reason i have a much more reasonable expectation of there being maybe a power outlet or that I'm going to be sitting for some portion of the time and maybe there'll be an outlet near me. And so what it's really important for me to have is more a good, a good way to charge, like to an outlet, as opposed to just making sure that I have like the biggest battery that I'm comfortable carrying around. So I
0: totally agree. The one thing you should always have if you're going out for the day is a battery and a charging cable. I mean, I. I, you know, I just, I was just at Disneyland a few weeks ago and I was in the, they have like a little Starbucks there and outside in the corner, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they were plugging Christmas lights into it or something. Disneyland has a little a plug in the wall just sitting there. It's one of the very few that you'll find there.
2: Yeah, they're not. And there's many. a guy <laughs>
0: sitting on the ground with his phone plugged in, sitting there with his phone charging. You know, he paid a hundred bucks or whatever to get in Disneyland, or or the, or the worst one is when you go at a theme park, you go in the bathroom, and there's a guy just sitting against the sink, and. Um, and they and he uh, he's got his phone plugged in in the bathroom. he sitting in the bathroom for like a half hour at the theme park, charging his phone. You can solve that problem. it's It's you know these, these batteries for 20 bucks, you can get a decent battery that will recharge your phone at least once. so bring it out in your lightning cord in your bag and and that's I think that's number one.
2: Well, I got one that is slightly larger. It's about, I would say um half of an iPhone. Like an iPhone, like I have an iPhone 6S. So it's about the width and the height of, you know, the width of my iPhone, about half the height of my iPhone and maybe like three iPhones thick or so. Um, And it's 10,000 milliamp hours. And so I use, I take that one around because I can charge my phone. I can charge your phone. uh, I can charge your iPad and still have enough juice to make sure that I get like two full charges out of mine so like you were talking about Disneyland and
0: yeah, that's an anchor you're using, right?
2: Yeah. It's an anchor 10 K I believe it is. And, uh, there's one that's, that's much heavier. Um, cause I, and I don't, I don't remember what the difference in the technology is, but I'll make sure I give you an exact link to the one that I have because it's dramatically lighter. Um, I had the opportunity to hold both of them in my hand and went, yeah, I don't know why anybody would carry this one around. It weighs like two or three times what this other one does for the same amount of juice. um, and then the like with Disneyland in particular, uh, my husband isn't open to closer. So if they're open 8 a.m. to midnight, I'm there from 8 a.m. to midnight. So I need both of those charges on my phone. And I don't have the opportunity necessarily to sit down for an extended period of time to make sure that I have, you know, that I'm able to top off that battery or, or whatever. So what I have done, um, this is like my big battery hack, is I bought... A short cable, Um, I think it's like an eight-inch cable, six or eight-inch cable, Um, and it's a two-in-one cable, so it's lightning, and then uh, the lightning end is like an adapter, and you pop off the lightning end, and it's still tethered to the the power cord, but underneath it is micro-USB, and micro-USB is how you charge the battery. So overnight, I can charge the battery with this cable that I keep in the pouch with the battery all the time, and then I unplug it and put the cable and the battery in the little pouch in my bag... And then I can take and then, you know, I only have to worry about that one cable. I don't have to have two cables. I don't have to have the four foot long cable or the six foot long cable in my bag all the time. So that's what I do. And if we're going to Disneyland, like out for the day, I take my 10K battery. It just lives in my purse to go to Disneyland or places where um, I'm going to have a backpack on in some capacity. I have a really small backpack that I take to Disneyland. Um, I have a 20K battery that I put in for that because we basically just take one, like we take the 20 K and if I need to top off my phone while we're eating lunch or we pull over for a snack, uh, Mr. Kelly can pull the battery out and charge his phone while we're sitting there, you know, having churros or drinking mint juleps or whatever we're doing. And uh, it makes for, it makes for a pretty convenient. And again, it's one of those um, weight power trade-offs. Like it's, it's heavier than my 10 K battery, but I'm wearing a backpack, so it's not just pulling my one shoulder down like it would if it was in my purse. And um, I can carry, you know, I'm carrying a little bit of other stuff around anyway. Like maybe I have um, a lightweight tripod or like my Gorillapod is something that I carry with me a lot when we go to Disneyland. So that if I have the option of stabilizing my phone a little bit better, I can use that to. Um,
0: and what do you use to attach your phone to the tripod?
2: Um, With the... With the GorillaPod, I'm trying to remember Um, I have a I have a glyph that I use with the with the GorillaPod. And it's adjusted for my case so that I'm able to put those together. So that one works pretty well. Um Square Jellyfish makes a couple of really cool uh tripod mounts that are very easy to use with a variety of phones or like if you have a different case or uh different things like that, there are those it's it's like the spring loaded grippy arms. So you can put your phone into those and, and you or, you know, particularly if you're a multi-phone family and like someone has a five and someone has a six plus and someone has a seven. Like you can accommodate all of those sizes pretty easily with a, a mount like that for anybody that wants to use it.
0: What are your um? what are your other what's the other gear in your bag?
2: One of the things that I carry around is a charger. That is the, uh, like a power outlet, like instead of carrying around an iPhone charger, the, the iPhone little power outlet charger or an iPad one, um, I carry around this one that I found on Amazon that's super reliable. Um, I keep giving them away, so I keep buying more of them. <laughs> so um, it has two USB ports. One is high power, but it's the size of the iPhone charger, the, the smaller of the two, and the prongs fold down. Yes, I have one of those. I love it. Yeah, the Aoki, the prongs fold down, so I don't have to worry about it getting damaged in my bag. So if I use it and I just chuck it in the bottom of my purse or in the bottom of my backpack, I know it's going to be okay. So I have a little zippy pouch that lives in my purse that has that charger in it, um, a shorty lightning cable, one of those two in one with the micro USB. Um, I have like a Windows formatted flash drive in there because, you know, in case because it's tiny and it weighs like nothing. So I have like an 8 gig emergency flash drive if I ever need one. And um, my Glyph lives in there because sometimes I use it for other things like when I'm out and about. So uh, my my Glyph stand lives in this little pouch, this little nylon pouch. Um, If I'm going to a conference or something, I will have a keyboard of some sort. And that keyboard, it'll be a Bluetooth keyboard. And depending on uh, the circumstances, I'll either use it to type on my phone or type on my iPad, depending, like I said... Um, cause sometimes it's easier to have physical keys. Like I do a decent amount with my thumbs and I can do a decent amount with an iPad on screen keyboard, but the external one is sometimes just better because I'm much better at touch typing with physical keys. So if I'm wanting to take a lot of notes at something that I'm attending, it's much easier for me to type and not have to look because I'm much more sure of what I'm typing at that point. So I will take that. I will take, um, uh, I usually have some sort of interesting flash drive on my person. Um, I have a Princess Leia flash drive. I have a, a dinosaur shaped flash drive. So um, I usually have something that's at least a little bit interesting for, for stuff like that. Now, now,
0: do you carry those around because you have data on them or because you just like the fact that it's Princess Leia?
2: Um, little column A, a little column B. Um, Sometimes it's just easier to to get data from A to B if you have a flash drive. Uh, and so I, I, I'm sort of, of the opinion, like, first of all, I know which flash drive is my flash drive. Like if I look at the stack of them, um, I can tell which one is mine. And also, you know, sometimes it's just, uh, sometimes I do have data on them and sometimes it's just a question of making sure I'm able to get things from here to there effectively. Maybe I can't rely on the network where I am or um, it can be really busy. So even something like AirDrop can take a really long time.
0: I, I have not uh, used them yet, but I've seen now that they are selling flash drives that have a lightning port on one end and USB-C or USB-B or some, some flavor of USB on the other side. So you can plug it into a computer, put a movie onto it, then plug it into your iPad and watch the movie, which I think is pretty clever.
2: It is. And they're not very expensive. Uh, I've seen a couple of these so far. And uh, sometimes you can get them. Um, they, they seem to be more readily available. Like I've seen them at Best Buy. So I feel like that's pretty readily available for a lot of people. I know they're on Amazon um so that sometimes you know that's another good way to sort of get stuff back and forth particularly a movie it's going to be much faster to copy a movie to a flash drive than to try and airdrop it over to your to your ipad you know and and try and watch it um the other thing that i like for my bag is retractable cables this is one of the things that makes me feel better about carrying a ton of cables around is because they're never tangled up because they all retract into each other and then i and plus i only have to unroll as much cable as i need so even amazon sells like an amazon basics retractable cable in a bunch of different flavors so if you need a micro usb one to drop in your bag it's like six or eight dollars you can throw it in your bag you always have a a micro usb cable or a lightning cable Um and they've come down a lot in price since i discovered them many years ago so it's it's a lot less expensive to to, um, swap out a few of the ones in your bag that way. And then they're never tangled. Like for me, that's the best part of it is maybe I paid a few dollars more than I would have paid for just a regular cable that I would have to put Velcro around or wind up every time. But that cable is never tangled. And it's one of, it's, it's one of the things that saves me lots of time.
0: And especially like if you're putting the battery in the phone in your pocket, you don't want a lot of cable hanging out. The the, the one thing I would add to my list that it sounds like you, you've got most of them covered of, uh, Several years ago, I bought, when it first went on Kickstarter, it's a device that's called the Loom Lume Cube, L-U-M-E-C-U-B-E. It's a, yeah, it's just a little portable uh, USB, it's a battery that you charge with the USB and it's a light, but it's a very powerful light and it's got a nice temperature to it. And it's about the size of, um, gosh, I don't know, I guess it's like a, you know, it's it's like a dice, but bigger, um, maybe about an inch on each side. But it's not too big, maybe two inches. I don't know. But the um, but you throw it in your bag, and when you're out at like a theme park or whatever, and you want to have lighting from the side, because so often if you just take lights at a picture at night, the the you know the flash is right next to the lens, and it it gives everybody what looks like the nuclear haze. You know, if you can put a light to the side of them or behind them, uh, it's it, it really improves the picture quality, and it takes almost no weight to throw this thing in your bag.
2: Yeah, those are nice. I find that um like part of why I like to go to Disneyland every time is because um, I tend to only get about three trips per phone. And then I get a new phone with a new camera (laughs) that is even better in lower light. Um,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Because that's true.
2: So then like I, so I've basically like I could go back through my, my, my photo backup and show you like, here's what it looked like to shoot a picture of pirates of the Caribbean on an iPhone 3g. And here it is on a four. And It is on a 4s, and and you can watch the evolution of the camera over time.
0: It's a remarkable camera they've got. Yeah,
2: and and the lighting, uh, the lighting is something that I've always wished I could improve, and I I dithered too long on on the uh, the Loom Cube. I. I was like, oh, I want one. Oh, but I'll wait. Oh, but I want one. Oh, you know, and then like the phone would ring or or something else would happen and I'd get pulled away. And so I didn't get in on the Kickstarter for it. But it still seems like something that I I want to add to my bag. So I'm glad to hear that it's uh, something that you find useful because it's definitely something that um, I feel like that's the next thing I would add as a, a piece of photography kit, because um, I don't really carry my point and shoot camera around anymore. The last couple of trips we've taken, Mr. Kelly has hauled around the big camera in the big backpack and like not taken it out one time. <laughs> and so, um, so I, I want to, um, so, you know, I'm, we're, we're both sort of at the point where like what my phone takes is a, is a nice picture. And I just need to sort of concentrate on making that camera, the best camera it can be and, you know, pick up that kind of light.
0: They've got a new product. They just did a Kickstarter on that that's closed now. That's less expensive and I don't, it's got like a magnetic back and, um, I I don't have a link for it now, but I'll see if I can find one before the show publishes. And, uh, once that product starts shipping, it gets even less expensive and, and they're smaller and lighter. So maybe you pick up two at that point and you can do all kinds of crazy stuff.
2: Yeah. I'd be into that.
0: Okay, well, anyway, it Kelly, it was so we were so slow in getting you on the show. I apologize uh, I'm so happy that you were able to come on and share some information with us, and we will not wait you know how long has it been Katie? eight years now? We will not wait that long before we have you back the um and uh and we really appreciate you coming on
2: well it was it was my pleasure. I'm really excited to be on so um, if you do decide to just spin off a whole home automation show, I'd be happy to guest on that. <laughs> help you guys talk about how to turn your lights on and off
0: well it's a recurring problem you know people are curious about it and and, you know we're still figuring it out
1: yes and kelly will send us links for all the things that she talked about i'm sure so that we'll have lots of those in the show notes for you to look at right
2: yes it is my duty to cost people money that's what i've just sort of come to learn in life i understand (laughs) all right well kelly where can people find you on the
1: internet these days
2: uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can find me doing a podcast with Don Melton called Greetings from the Uncanny Valley. It's a Westworld podcast on the Incomparable Network. Uh, you can find me usually on Wednesdays on the Mac Observer Daily Observations podcast. And you can find me on Twitter as Verso. And, uh, since we were talking about home automation, I will point out that a recent episode of Mac Jury, uh, Chuck Joyner recorded with uh, Jeff Gamut and I talked about home automation troubleshooting and the kind of stuff that uh, happens and what you can do to try and get things back on track or at least narrow down what exactly the problem is that you're having. So I'll make sure I put a link to that uh, over to you guys so you can get that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Well, Kelly, it has been great having
1: you on the show. Um again, we're we're so sorry that it took so long, but we we look forward to having you back again, and we'll have links to all those things in the show notes. Uh, we do want to thank our sponsors for this episode, MindNode, Gazelle, Omnigroup, and One Password. And we will see you all next
2: time.